In this episode of the Team Superdad podcast, I talk to Andy Lepata on the power of an awesome network and how to use it to be more successful. Roll theme. Welcome to Team Superdad. Real dads creating their best lives ever. More time, more money, more fun. You are not alone. You're on Team Superdad. Welcome back to the Team Superdad podcast. I'm Johnny Jensen, your host and founder of the Team Superdad community. It's great to have you back. This week, we're talking to another guest. Andy Lapata is in my network, and uh, and we talk to him about the power of your network, how to create one, and how to get the most from it. Andy's a bit of a dude, really. He is, he, in some circles, he's known as like the super connector. But increasingly, his work, he talks about you know, really the not just how to create a powerful network, but you know why you need it and, and how to be um, a valuable uh, person, how to be respected and how to use that really, um, not just for your own gain, like a selfish gain, but when you're being awesome with other people, then it reflects back on you. So Andy's a really cool guy and great to have him on the podcast. If you're a dad listening to this for the first time, a man, you might even be a mum, but welcome, welcome, whatever, whatever it's... Oh, <laughs> get my words out, Johnny. Whether it's your first time or whether you're coming back, it's great to have you here. Of course, we would love you to come over to Apple Podcasts or any reviews where you can leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, then we'd love to get one. Good or bad, it's great feedback. Do you know, uh, if you're going to give something bad though, maybe send it in a message. How about that? Let me know. But you know, the, the, it's not easy actually doing a podcast, finding the guests, making it work. And then you sat there doing it thinking, is this any good? <laughs> which, which I'm pretty confident that my, the bit that I do is, is good, but I'm not always certain about how, how fun it is. And that's despite my best efforts. You know, you ask someone a question and, and then you've got no control over what they're going to say. And I'm also aware there's hundreds, if not millions, there's not millions, but so many podcasts have got interview formats. I do enjoy doing them, but I'm working on pulling together a regular group of dads to come on and basically be like the co-hosts on the subjects that we focus on in Team Superdad, the F5, I call them, fitness, focus, family, finances and fun. So if you are someone who's an expert in those areas, someone who wants to come on a podcast, maybe you've got your own podcast or you listen to another podcast and you think that would be a good person to team up with Johnny, then put me in touch with them and uh, I'd love to explore that further with you. Same as if you have got an idea for a guest, then then by all means, let me have it. You know, people that have been through challenges or people that have performed at a highest level people that you feel inspired about or you're just nosy about. Like I'm working on getting some DJs on because I'm just really fascinated as to how you maintain a family life when you're up all night, (laughs) three or four times a week. How does that work? Uh, I'm pretty sure there's uh, some divorces in in amongst that uh, circle. But, you know, maybe someone's been very successful at keeping their family together. So I'm working on my network to pull some of these people out. Olympians, uh, adventurers, just also normal dads. You know, it's great to hear from these crazy famous, you know, authors or influencers and whatnot. But I know as well, there's something inspirational about, sorry, that's my phone. Let me turn it off. There's something inspirational about everyday dads who are achieving the things that we all want to achieve. So that could be you as well. If you've got a cool story to share, then um, then ping me a message and, and we'll get you on. So without further ado, as I mentioned my own network, let's talk to Andy, hear his interview, and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, I'll look forward to it. Cheers. Good evening. Welcome to the Team Superdad podcast. My name is Johnny Jensen, as always. Welcome uh, to Dad's all over the world and mums as well. I know that there are plenty of, of men and women who tune into the Team Team Dad podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here as always. And also with our guest this evening, Andy. Hello to you, sir. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Johnny? I'm very well too, thank you. Very well. Uh, this is part of the F5 of Team Superdad. Uh, the F5 are focus, fitness, finance, family and fun. 
And this, you know, the subject of finance is very much about work and, and our, our, our passions in the, in, a, in the area of work. And, you know, what could be more important than actually the relationships we have with those people. And so uh, Andy and I are recently connected through a mastermind that we're on. So um, it's a pleasure to, to meet you through that. I think it's always important to share those things because it's an example for other people to follow themselves. And then when you launched and posted about your new book uh, going up on Amazon, uh, I raced in and grabbed grabbed it at the launch prize. So thank you. I got a double whammy of benefits there. I got all the awesome content and uh, and, for, and for 99p. So uh, kudos to you on the success of that. What, thank you. It's, it's went straight in on that day, sort of bestsellers and, and uh, yeah, popular yeah, that, that day and stuff. Yes. Yeah, so so when you, when you uh, publish on Amazon, you pick up to three categories. Uh, for the book and and for the three categories on amazon.co.uk we were number one new release in terms of sales for two or three days yeah yeah. two of the categories and number two in one of them uh on dot com so in america we got to number three in i think business communication uh in australia we got number one in germany as well so it's a nice feeling it's 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 a really nice feeling yeah totally and i you know for anyone listening, you know, it's any sense of achievement like that is worth striving for. And there's ways of doing it and, and you can leverage your network or leverage your, your connections as we're going to be talking about tonight. But most importantly, you've got to get up with your ass, write the book uh, and put it out there. And, and so there's so on so many levels, that is a massive success. So, so I, I you. acknowledge you for that. What, how many, this is it's not your first book though, is it? No, this is my fourth. Um, and in fact, you know, you talk about leveraging the network with my second book, we, we were, the, I think we were the first authors to do what was called an Amazon bestseller plan. Our publishers actually bought a book out based on it called the Amazon bestseller plan. And we got uh, to number two overall on Amazon uh, on launch, yeah. uh, selling 2000 books in 48 hours, which was fantastic. I, you know, I don't follow that route anymore because it's it's been done it's yeah, been done, totally. and done and done um but that was great but no this is this is number four number five is with the publisher um for for hopefully later this year or early next year publication wow so you are you are i want to turn the sound off here um and what's so what's your writing technique do you do you do you have a really solid plan or have you got an idea in your head and you just go like where, where's where's the i tend to mind map so mm-hmm. I'll mind map the chapters, then I'll mind map within the chapters up to, I, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with mind mapping, but yeah, yeah. I'll go to about three or four branches out. Uh, and if I do that, <clears throat> it, it pretty much drops on the page and you move stuff around and you add stuff as, you know, it then becomes a stream of consciousness. The, the two books this year are, are very different. So Connected Leadership was written in two weeks at the start of lockdown, published, you know, already. Wow. Um, and that really was just me just brain dumping, you know, here are my thoughts on these topics, uh, a little bit of reference to other people, but I knew where those references were. Just Ask, which is the, the next book, is a lot of research, over 50 interviews. Uh, a, a, we, we actually carried out an academic research project out of Chicago for the book. So it's a very, very different beast, and that's on its fourth um manuscript which was meant to come out last year but we just haven't i I haven't quite got it right yeah so some flow others you have to work a lot harder to get there and have you found that it's got easier like you know as imagined you'd you'd hope that when you start to do something and the the confidence goes up or maybe just the 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 self-belief kind of the same thing but just the belief in your own writing i've always been a confident writer you know, right. before all of this, I, I uh, edited, published a football fanzine. Oh, okay. uh, oh you're a Charlton uh, fan, aren't you? Well, not just an average Charlton <laughs> fan either. A pretty, <laughs> a pretty serious Charlton fan. Um, back in the day more than now, I think. I've yeah. been turned off a lot by what's happened at the club over the last few years. But I was on the supporters club committee, used to run the away train travel, uh, very, very involved. And, and I published the fanzine and, and we were voted number two in the UK by Total Football Magazine. So I'd always had that confidence in my writing. Yeah. Uh, There is a zone you get into. And what I found this year with Just Ask, latest manuscript and with Connected Leadership, is that I've really enjoyed it, the writing process. 
Uh, and, you know, if, if there was a world in which I could, I think, just be, be an author 80% of the time, I think my headspace at the moment, I would be, doesn't quite um, fit the bill for what I need to achieve, uh, but it's something I enjoy doing. Yeah, totally. And it, it really appealed to me to get you on. And obviously I, I invite people and they don't always come. So thank you for, for, for taking me up on the offer. But, you know, uh, it's for me around the team, super dads principles, you know, dads who want more dads creating the life that they aspire to, you know, the people that we're connected to both in work and in our social life are, are so important to us. And you you mentioned in, in connected leadership about the um, six Oh my God, we always get this wrong. Seven stages of professional relationship. No, the one about um, six degrees of separation. There we go. Six, six degrees, degrees of separation. separation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and also in the book, you've got the different, the, 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 the graphic of how your professional life and, and, and the, the process between the relationship with that someone gets through then to your friendship. Yes. Yeah, so that's the seven stages of professional. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so um, for me and for any of the team, Superdad community listening, I really want them to hear that, this is a conversation, not just about work, but about our social life, about the importance of everyone we meet and, and how we can stay in touch with those. My dad is a nutter for uh, staying connected with people, writing letters uh, and and talking to all of his friends very much on an individual level. Even, even when he's taken a chunk of this is what we've been up to, he'll top and tail it and make it all very personal. And because uh, he, I, I gave him a Dropbox account, which I help look after in case he accidentally deletes things. And so I see his work to do list. He keeps a work yeah. to do list and it's like he's has him on track each day. And I see he's got it in there. Call. He's got a list of people to call that week. And you've got underneath that, he's got a bunch of letters that he's going to write that week. And that was some of the elements in, in your book as well. well. We'll dig into all of those, but it was just powerful to see that, no, I know my dad as someone who's got friends all over the world, and is and is and is particularly he's retired now, but in his work career was was known, had a reputation, bit of a maverick in, in, in many ways. But he fueled that. I can I can really see how much he fueled that, and it just amazes me. I think it amazes me as I was reading your your new book, Connected Leadership. Some of what's in there is is so obvious so powerful as well because you, you, on the one hand you say well that's obvious but if you're not bloody doing it it's a massive clangor and an absolute like how could you expect to succeed if you're not fostering those relationships or you're not going outside of your organization to to, to, to build connections so the thing i wanted to ask you sort of straight off the bat was why do people find it so hard to to get out there and foster strong relationships where, where does that stem from uh, I, I think there's a combination of reasons. Uh, part of it is laziness. Uh, uh, that might be a bit harsh uh, and, and maybe a bit on purpose as well to provoke. But from a professional perspective, one of the biggest challenges, the biggest challenge I get from people is time. You, you're absolutely right. People know this stuff. This is basic. I'm, you know, I've got a tips book called It's Not Rocket Science, very right. originally, um, uh, because I want to, own that i'm not pretending that i'm writing any sort of grand new theories uh the uh the key is that people don't implement this and a lot of it is what what takes our priority so maybe laziness is a bit unfit not for everyone there will be people where it is just laziness. i've had plenty of team members (laughs) who who who, who, uh could fall into that camp for sure uh, but but it might be unfair for a lot of people. Mm. But prioritizing is, is a key thing because uh, the thing about time management is that we prioritize what we think we'll get the return on, and we don't think of the return we get on relationships. We you know they're an afterthought. But if you think about it, you know you, you've got that finance focus, um, and and that's your career, that's your business. If you run a business, it's your job, whatever it might be. Think about all the things that you need to achieve in order to be successful in that career, that business, that role. And then think how much easier they become when other people are there to help and support you, whether that's making the right introductions, giving you advice, feedback, information, or just support, whether it's influencing key decision makers and saying, actually, this is the guy you need. You know, all of those things make smooth our path, make it easier. Yeah. And if we can take, if we take that understanding and align 
the objectives which we're pursuing with the relationships we build, then suddenly our priorities might shift and we'll invest time in building relationships. Now, whether your dad's worked that out or he understands it instinctively or he just gets sheer joy from staying in touch with people, he's doing the right thing. You Do you know, know what? what? It's, it's, it's all of them. And my dad has done some bonkers stuff in his life, like cool things, um, whether it's tea at Buckingham Palace or tea at uh, um, Houses of Parliament or invitations to Glyndebourne or having a, a, a Royal Ascot Royal Enclosure Pass. Like he's... He's he doesn't like to not be able to make things happen. So so when he's like, oh, how'd you get in there? It will then become his mission to next time he goes there to be in there, and and how he'll do it is he'll start to work his network and he'll find out introductions. He'll find out ways to how what what's that about? How do I get in there and and then actually really start to? Also built into him as well is is a, is a nosiness, so he won't go in blind. He'll get very knowledgeable on the subject and then take that to person x or person y and and you said in in, in a part of the book there uh, and i've mentioned it in the in the uh the the, the you know the, the post to, to promote the, the the live stream um it's not what you know it's who knows you and then inside of that comes the trust and the association and so when someone says oh can i have a favor or can you tell me about that they go oh yeah of course john i'd love to have my dad's name john i'd love to have a, a lunch with you or something because they know as well as them telling him something he wants to know he's going to entertain and share with them all lunch. So there is an instant win-win there, which he's built up over time. What's also happening is because your dad is clearly reaching out when he doesn't need something, people are happy to entertain him when he does. Right, okay, yeah. Where people commonly make mistakes, and I'm at the wrong end of this on a regular basis, is they don't stay in touch, they don't show any interest in you until they need you. And that's things. Uh, And and people don't appreciate that. And and what your dad's doing is he's reaching out with no end in mind. Speaking to a colleague of mine um, during the lockdown, and he was reaching out to clients just to say, how are you? And the response he was getting from clients was, no, we're not buying at the moment. And that told me straight away he he hadn't previously been saying, how are you? Because they weren't used to it. So it's about uh, Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, that's one of my early early personal development books. That was yeah. Yeah. So he talks about emotional bank accounts, and he said that you wouldn't go to a bank and seek to withdraw money if you haven't invested some money in there in the first place. And relationships are the same. Yeah. Now, where I I take that off into two different directions post Covey. Um, One is I might invest. I might deposit £10 in my bank account. Let's say I put, I take £10 into the bank and, and say, put that in my bank account. If I then go back to withdraw that £10, I don't get the same note back. And similarly with your network, you invest in your network and you withdraw from your network, but it might not be from the same to and from the same person. So the other thing that's happening with your dad is his reputation means people want to help him. It's not the fact that he's calling in quid pro quos. But people know that if they if they needed something or if they wanted a source of information or anything like that, they could come to him. So he's invested in his network as a whole and he can withdraw from his network. The other the other extension I, I, I add to the emotional bank accounts from Covey is that you wouldn't just keep depositing and never withdrawing. And where a lot of people fall down, you said, why don't people use this? The other reason people don't do this is because they're frightened to ask. And this comes up so often. They're frightened to make that withdrawal. So they're going into the bank all the time and going £10, £10, £10, £10. Right, yeah, yeah. When they need to withdraw, they get to the door of the branch and they think, oh, I can't go and ask for that money. You know, what so so then, then their networking becomes exhausting, basically, because they're always they're yes. the one that's always helping out or entertaining, taking them for lunch, never actually asking for anything back, yeah. And, and, and I should reinforce, it's never a quid pro quo. It's never, I've helped you, therefore you owe me. It's, I have invested in my network and my network knows that. So if I need help, I can turn to my network for that support. Yeah. And by network, I mean on that seven stages of professional 
relationship the people who know like and trust you not people you've just met yeah uh, and and it doesn't matter if you've helped them in the past as long as they know you would help them in the future if you if, if they needed you to yeah and that whole no like trust has become you know sort of an internet kind of moniker but it must have always existed was it did it did it was it called was it called something like before before the internet was always been a no like trust you think i mean penny i'm sure you know Pen, penny's book was was called no know me like me trust penny powers book was called yeah. no me like me trust me um i think i've i think i read that that expression back in the early days of of social media and um, i think it was coined by bob berg in his right, book, okay in his referrals and, and bob's book would be going back possibly to the 90s yeah I think it was Bob that coined it. Good knowledge, Andy. Good knowledge. And um, <laughs> so we didn't really introduce you that much either. But your, your your reputation goes 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 back a long a long way. You know. Um, Are you um, saying I'm old? No, no. <laughs> but I, I, you know, you you see, you said you know this is this is very much about the relationships and people need to understand about relationships. Um, you know, the size of your network is is pretty extensive. You said on your on your LinkedIn profile uh, thirty thousand contacts. Um, you, know, you featured in in some of the, some of the national newspapers as well around that subject. But how, how, what size network is isn't is ideal? You know, should people be constantly trying to get more and more people in, or is it about making the best out of the ones you've got? Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether thirty thousand contacts is it on your profile. I'm, I'll have to go back and check. Oh, that. I'm going to go and look. That might be <laughs> someone else's profile. Oh, sorry uh, about that. I'm looking my, at so many. Oh no, you might, but you might well be right. Yeah, <laughs> done my your disservice. My business strapline is connecting is not enough. Because I don't believe in the um, the culture of connecting for the sake of it. The the click exchanges yeah. on LinkedIn and think that we're we're connected now. Um, to me, it's about the depth of your relationship as much as the the, the breadth uh, of the network. And, and you you mentioned earlier, we've touched on a couple of times the seven stages of professional relationship. And I start out that section of the book by talking about how we get networks wrong and how we misunderstand what a network looks like because you talked about the the average size of a network or the the, the ideal size of a network a network doesn't have a finite size it's uh, multi-layered and full of moving parts so i meet you at an event so let's say when we we met online a few weeks ago at the first uh, uh, session of the new mastermind and we didn't really talk uh, much on that that half day that i was on the call I saw you there. I heard you chat, talk. You have probably heard me talk. If um, we'd have exchanged something in the next few days, we'd have recognized each other from that interaction. Uh, and you can take that into the, the physical world post-lockdown. Yeah. And lockdown that We bump into each other at a, a dinner party, for example. We chat for a while. If we meet each other the following week, we recognize each other. I call that stage one uh, in, in the seven stages of professional relationships. Yeah. Recognize. But then when we have a bit more of a conversation, we get to know each other. I know who you are. I know what you stand for. So what we're starting to do is build a wall around the outside of the network for each of us as respective individuals. So yeah, the, and this picture is in your book, isn't it? It's like yeah. a, it's like a target, but with seven rings. Yeah. It's a seven, set, yeah. I, I describe, describe it as a side section of an onion. And yeah, good. That's just for people, for people who are listening, they can now picture that in their mind. Cause it, cause this is, you know, in other words, like a ladder right down to the middle of, of that, that, that really close relationship. So yeah, that, so, so please carry on. That's, uh, by the way, it's not you that's got the, it was but it's <laughs> George. I interviewed a guy called George McGearin, uh, in the States. He runs a couple of different recruitment businesses. Um, ultra marathon runner i interviewed him on uh, last friday so i do apologize that's his profile that's and, and for recruitment which is where linkedin built its initial strength yeah size of network is hugely important they don't yeah. worry about the the, the 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 depth of the relationship because all they're going to do is they're going to find the right candidate because they know someone who knows and them. second and third level connections yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they don't wait for the introduction they're not worried about a trusted connection they'll just go johnny i saw that you're looking for this job or found you on linkedin yeah. do you want you know we've got an opportunity yeah. for you so that's not that's that's effectively marketing rather than networking or professional yeah, yeah. trusted trusted relationships yeah yeah, yeah. so so the, with the seven stages what you're doing is you're taking people on a journey into the the depth of your network uh, 
So from that recognize and know, we go to like, trust, support, advocate, and then you've got friend as the final level. So when you talk about the ideal size of a network, I would much rather have a network of A, the right people, who can who, who are well positioned to help me as well as people I get on well with and have a rapport with um, and a diverse network. So I get lots of different ideas, different inputs. I know what's going on in worlds other than my own, but I would rather have 500 people where I've got reasonably deep relationships or even a hundred people where I've got reasonably deep relationships than 30,000 people where I've exchanged a click and, and they wouldn't know me from Adam. Yeah, of course. So, so that's why I can't answer the question of what's the, no, right it's an interesting. I, I think there was a, a I've read, I know Thomas and Penny, that's why I've mentioned them both. And Thomas is big on his sort of network stuff. And um, I remember him sharing a few things ages back about the perfect size of your network, like 250 or 750 or something like that. That comes from another book as well, isn't it? Tom, Thomas and I toured Scotland together. Oh, you know, Thomas, do you? Okay. Oh, well, we talk, we talk, we've known each other for, for 20 years. Uh, best part. Oh, so you, were you an Academy member? I was an Academy. Oh, so me too. I was back, yeah, back in the day. Very early days. So, so I was running a business network, a physical business network. Right. Okay. Um, and we founded it about the same time as the Academy, 1998. Uh, and we would have, I remember people, rec- someone recommended Academy to me when it was just an email. And I joined quite early on. I was a Black Star member towards the end. Um, but Thomas and I, and you'll be going back into the early 2000s, about 2002, three, I would think, we toured Scotland together to Academy groups. And we did a talk, The Art and Science of Networking. And I talked about it as an art and Thomas talked about the science, the numbers. And he would oh, say, okay. if you meet X number of people a day, you will earn X amount of money. Now, we, we, we have very different approaches. I can see straight away, yeah. yeah. So, yeah I had a feeling you'd know, Thomas. That's why I said it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's, there is value. I, you know, there is, there, there is value in Thomas's approach. It's not my approach and vice versa. And you've got to get what's right for you, the balance from it. Yeah, that, that, that's true. That's, that's, the, that's the true adage in all these things is to, yeah. is to have a broad understanding, take on board bits of information, then work out what, what works right for you. Mm. Something that, that really struck me as, as important, you know, you've got, you've got one of the parts of, of Team Superdad is about fun and it can happen in, in, in life. For me, talking, it's always easy to talk about my own experiences, but that's where the main inspiration for Team Superdad came from is such a lot of fun at a younger age, quite a lot of fun as you're going into your 30s. Then you get married and have kids and <laughs> seem to have not a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> and there's, of fun. Yeah, different types of fun. But there's degrees within that, actually, when you can see mm you start to be like oh well this isn't fair and how did my life end up like this but actually what's happened is the things that you enjoy doing you're doing less of and then the things that you so naturally those like-minded people you're seeing less of so i really really was interested in 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 uh, your book in the connected leadership just about that strategically mapping out the people that you want to connect with because people could do this both in their work life and in their social life. You know, I'm fed up not having anyone to go and talk about music to. Well, go and network with some DJs or, or whatever kind of music that you're into. Likely if it's football or chess or swimming or whatever the thing might be. Uh, and clearly work is, it's a, it's, if it's going to get a job or if it's growing your business or if it's looking to, to, to get headhunted or something, I can understand that. But can you, you know, talk a little bit about that, how people would strategically map out and build their network? Yes. So, I mean, first of all, taking what I've written as a professional book and, and applying the personal, I can see how you yes. can do that and how I've done that. You know, I'm a single guy uh, and I live, I live just outside London. Uh, and over the last, actually it's five years now, I've been can, very um, closely connected into a group of friends who, I mean, it's changing, you know, yeah, as time goes yeah. on, but at the beginning were predominantly single, uh, party together, but, you know, picnic together normally, um, you know, tomorrow night there's a quiz night with a lot of the, the, the group, but have a lot in common. So I got introduced into that group and okay. I was lucky I got introduced in, but if you are, just moved to a big city for example and you don't know anyone yeah. or you're just divorced and you want a, a new social life might be a good example it's finding groups like that and 
you know, having the courage to connect into them. Uh, I, I live just outside London. I'm not from where I, you know, I've lived here a long time, but I'm not from here. I, and it's a very, very local area. You know, a lot of people who live here were brought up here, went to school here. So they're all very interconnected. So I had to work extra hard to build my networks in my local area. And to so literally break into some of those groups. Absolutely. And, and it's, um, and it's not easy. Um, but you, so you can be strategic about it. Well, the way I position it in the book, the book I'm talking about professional uh, connecting and, and, yeah, yeah. And, if you, and if you're comfortable, go with that. I just wanted people to hear the, yeah, the yeah, connection, no, like the, the relatedness between it. Like actually you might, you might quite naturally think about mapping out your work network and planning how I'm going to get a new job or planning how I'm going to acquire a new business or whatever. But then, but then go home and be lonely. And yeah. actually if you've done it at work, strategically plan out your, your personal life as well. So, yeah, feel, feel free to, 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 to share on it from the work. Well, I'll share a couple of things on that then. So, so, so first of all, what's in the book? So in the book, we've got – I've called it the relationship chart in the book. My sort of working title for it is the three-eye pie. Um, but but it's, I've also got something else um, called pie in the book, so I just call it the relationship chart there. Um, and the three-eye pie says there's three types of people you need on a project – if you want to achieve something on a project, you need three types of people in each stakeholder group. So okay. a stakeholder group might be inside your own organization, inside a client's organization, in your industry. You know, there can be different examples of yeah. stakeholder Yeah, that was group. good when you spoke about pharmaceutical, like a stakeholder yeah. group in a client group would be, I'm trying to sell to this company, so I need to influence the person who's going to use the product, the person who's going to buy the product, the person who signs off on the product, (laughs) like they're your stakeholders in that client business. Yeah. So the three eyes in there, you mentioned one of them, which is influencers. Who, who do people listen to? You know, whose, whose word is going to carry some strength when they, when they're sat around a, a board meeting or a committee meeting discussing your proposal. You know, one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make when they're trying to influence decisions is that they rely on one person. And that one person might be carrying that case into a meeting with 10 other people, none of whom know you or know the case, and they can be drowned out very easily. So you need to know who the key influencers around that table are. The second are intermediaries or introducers, the people that can make the introductions that open doors for you. You know, you need to know that key person. They will, they will make the connection for you. And the third are sources of information, insight, and ideas. So they can tell you what people are thinking. They can give you feedback on your ideas before you push them forward. They can tell you who the key movers and shakers are. So that almost comes first. So from a professional standpoint, you need those three, th- those three eyes within any stakeholder group. So when you're looking at a project, you can say, okay, who, who are the most influential people here? Uh, who do we need to be connected to? Who can make introductions? Who can give me insight? And you can say, who do I know who can do that, but I haven't got a strong enough relationship and you know you need to build a relationship with them? Who do I know who can do that? I've got the strong relationship, but I'm not asking them. So you, you say, well, maybe I should ask for their help. And who don't I know? And I need to find and I need to build a relationship with just to balance that off because that can all sound very cold when we're talking about a human to human interaction. Yeah. Uh, You, you, I talk in the book as well about having a a balance between a partnership or a strategic mindset, which is what I've just outlined. These are the people I need to meet to, to move my agenda forward and, and the people you just get on really well with, you know, and that's what I call a relational mindset. So it's okay to have both. But when you are engaging with people, whether they are people you've identified and targeted or whether they're just people you have a rapport with, you treat them all the same and you treat them authentically, humanly um, uh, and in a relationship based way. So the strategy sits behind the way you engage with people and you let the relationship grow. But you can be strategic in thinking about it. So, so that's that that relationship chart three i pi idea well and, yeah. and that that um you shared about one of your early stages of your career the you know the receptionists at the at the, yeah, the, benefits, the agency. benefits agency and that that really i really related to that as well just i don't know whether it's been part of my growing up or or what but i've always found it really easy to talk to people yeah. and i can't walk past a receptionist every day and not know yeah. about him or her like it just it just occurs to me to chat to that person and and like you said in the book it's like it when there's 
good things on offer or when there's a free something or when like whatever people don't realize how influential those reception kind of front of house roles can be. And, you know, when you get the last sandwich every day, maybe you should be, make better friends with the person who's <laughs> signing off the sandwiches. Uh, and I think in your, in your example, it was an even more, uh, a more powerful benefit that you got from those people that were processing the, the, the applications. Yeah. And there was nothing strategic about it back then. I'd never heard of any of this. No. I just probably hated being at my desk. Just being but a good point, guy. But the point I made in my book was that my colleagues were much more transactional with them and they didn't get the support that I did. Yeah. Uh, it, on, on the point of receptionists, it, it's interesting. I, I read quite a few articles over the last couple of years where companies are asking receptionists when they when they're interviewing for jobs. Uh, what happens is if let's say you you have a job interview, you walk in, you go up to the receptionist and you say, "I'm here for a job interview." They then get you to sit down, send you through whatever it may be. Between the time that you are invited into the interview room. Um, uh, or between the time you're sitting down and you being in, invited into the interview room, yeah. the interviewer has spoken to the receptionist for their impression. Yeah. Uh, did you take your headphones out? Did you, you know, turn your mobile phone off? Were you polite? Were you civil? And people are losing jobs before they even walk into the interview because of the way they treat the receptionists. And I think that's an incredibly powerful story. It's, you know, the, the classic analogy is the dating one where um, you'll be judged by your date, by the way you treat the, the waiters. Yes, of course. And, you know, and astute dates will look at that and see how you treat other people who could be perceived, shouldn't, but could be perceived as in a, you know, subservient to you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a really good example of that. Well, I teach it to my kids all the time. You know, I, I got this adage of good things happen to good people. Yeah. And that's a really simple concept for kids to understand. But when we go to the swimming baths, we talk to all the front of house people. Yeah. Um, and what that means is sometimes when we're late for swimming, we just run through without having to yeah. sign in on stuff because they, they, they know who we are. Uh, the ladies at Greg's, um, it's not that they're ladies, but they are all ladies in Greg's. But we say hello to them and not every time, but on a, on a, more on more than one occasion my kids have been given an extra donut or yeah. something else and they just look at me and go and they're like so that and they don't think of that now as some random piece of good fortune they connect the when we're nice and say hello to people when we pay attention we get things work out for us and uh i'm not trying to big myself up there i just i love that that's something that i've instilled in them and then when it comes back i'm like yes because <laughs> because it, it, it meant that i wasn't talking nonsense I, I remember back in the golden days when charlton were in the the premier league uh, i used to walk into the the royal oak which was our pub yeah uh, football and it's like the, the home pub and um i'd walk in and it would be five deep at the bar and there were a couple of the barmaids there and they'd see me walk in and they would pour my pint while they were serving other people and others were queuing. Yeah. And they just put, I'll go to my normal spot and they bring it over. And that was all, that was all professional relationship. It was because I spoke to them. I knew their names. I chatted to them. I flirted with them a bit and they knew my drink. Yeah. That's not you being Billy Big Balls. That's just you being a good guy over a extended period of time. I, uh, I had Damien Matthews on the yeah. expert hangout a couple okay, of weeks ago. Cool. Uh, he, he did some great stuff for, at Charlton. Yeah, yeah, top bloke, really top bloke. And Chris Parker is a guy I work with. Uh, not like, do you know how many Charlton fans you know? But, but I, I have got a, a, a good a good work associate and friend, Chris Parker, who's a big Charlton fan as well. Not 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 in my my circle. I, I no. thought, I'm probably more likely to recognise him, but you know, by face. Yeah, you may well do. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm a Spurs fan for my for my uh, for my sins. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the biggest mistake that people make in, uh, and it might well be obvious really, maybe it's just not bothering, but um, you know, what, what's, a, what's a common mistake that people make in poorly managing their relationships? How long we got? Um, <laughs> I think, think of it, think about business, right? Someone, yeah. I think you probably mentioned a couple of them already, but you yeah. know, if, 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 if there's a business leader, I'm just reading the trillion dollar coach as well, which is a fabulous book about how, um, I think his name's Bill as well. He, he, you know, how he helped coach many Silicon Valley companies into trillion dollars of mm. status. Um, and so much of that is about the power of relationships yeah. and how bosses treat their, treat their staff and how they network with each other. Um, 
But what are some of the, and perhaps this is obvious, but to hell with it, let's go with it. What are some of the big mistakes that people make? Some of the biggest ones, not following up with people. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I love that. Was it, uh, 20, was it 24, 7? 24, 7.30. Nice. So, so when I meet you the first time, I follow up within 24 hours. And people yeah. say, that's a bit desperate, isn't it? And to which my reply is, it's not dating. You want to remind them about yourself while it's still fresh in their minds. And I'm now kicking myself in my head because I know that there were a couple of follow-ups I needed to do today. <laughs> I reminded everyone That's what your Google speaker's for now. I tell my <laughs> Google speaker everything I need to be reminded yeah. of, I, I tell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I use something called followupthen.com, which is normally brilliant. I don't know why it hasn't. It's probably come through this evening, so I probably did it on Friday evening, so it's probably done it around now. Um, uh, but with followupthen.com, if I send an email, I'll put BCC followupthen.com. Yeah. And I get the email back in my inbox when I tell it, you know, so it might be Monday at followupthen.com. And I get the email back on Monday, which I didn't today. Uh, but anyway, so you follow up within 24 hours. Um, and then you follow up again after seven days. And again, after 30 days, what you're looking for is ideally three two way touch points so genuine conversation. Uh, so I will do things like I might send you an email the next day. Great to chat to you yesterday. You know, really interesting conversation. Let me know when the podcast is released. Yeah, yeah. I might send you a LinkedIn connection request a week later rather than in the moment. Uh, so I'm separating two touch points and using them as two different opportunities to connect. Uh, but I'll personalize the LinkedIn connection request. Yeah. And then after 30 days, maybe we meet for a coffee in normal times or we go for a virtual coffee or I send you an article and I say, I saw this and I thought of you because it was based on something that we said in our discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, it says an article on Spurs and I'd say, I say, I remember you're a fan, you know, saw this. If you can make it about their personal interests above their professional interests, it's even more powerful. It shows you are listening. Yeah. So, and I, I did, I did a guy I connected with the other day on, on LinkedIn. Um, what, he, oh, he said, yeah, he sent me the friend, he sent me the connection request. Mm. I accepted it, but I replied back, hi, nice to meet you. How do you, like, how do you think we can help each other out? Um, I'm really interested to, to know more. And he came back and said, oh, blimey, not many people do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it would be easy to, someone listening to this might hear you and think, well, that's a bit cheesy or that's a bit full on or whatever. But actually, if you imagined it in real life, no, it's not at all. It's completely normal. It's actually, you, you, it's, it's, it's less normal to be ignored, really. Yeah, completely. I love the way you put that. A, simply, a, a similar example, you know, when I was doing a lot of stuff on networking skills, one of the biggest challenges people have is remembering names. Oh, my yeah. biggest challenge, particularly <laughs> as I get older. And one of the, the technique that works best for me is repetition. Yes. So if I repeat your name three or four times when I first meet you, it's more likely to stick, particularly if I add reading it. So if you give me a business card or you're wearing a name badge, uh, everyone says, oh, my God, that sounds so false. But when you actually play it out, it doesn't. So, so you're Johnny. Johnny, good to meet you. So tell me, Johnny, what is it that uh, brought you here? Yeah. I said it four times there. You, it, it sounds perfectly natural. Now, obviously, when you're role-playing, it stands out that bit more. In a general conversation, not at all. And it's exactly the same with these touch points. It sounds like overkill, but messaging you the next day and then seven days later and then 30 days later, have you got other stuff going on in between? Of course you have. Exactly. So it's not like you're sitting there waiting for the next touch point. No, and anyone conscientious enough to know that's what you're doing will probably be impressed. Not like, oh, what a freak. He's really putting an effort into connecting with me. <laughs> like, I, I no. would try and make it as natural as possible. Of course, of course. That, that's key. I, I think I, would, I wouldn't provide a formula for the words to be used in connection requests, emails, or anything else, for example. Again, going back to the networking skills thing, I hate books that say, here's 20 questions to ask someone at a networking yeah. event because you become a robot you don't become authentic uh i shouldn't have to tell you what to say to someone in conversation that's a different skill set entirely and this is the same thing it, it it either flows naturally or it doesn't and that's a bloody good indication about whether that relationship will, will evolve yeah or and a two-second look at their profile oh she lives in san diego oh she surfs oh she's got two kids 
like if you can't find a reason to to say hi and it was good to meet you yesterday um then, then you're probably gonna, you're gonna struggle anyway but you're not gonna connect with everyone you meet mm. and you're not gonna want to follow up with everyone you meet that's not what i'm suggesting and that's a really important point because it goes back to time management I don't have time to follow up with everyone I have a conversation with. It's when they fit my strategic goals we talked about earlier. We have something really powerful in common or we just got on really well. Yeah. And that's really important. I'm just going to flick into your book here because I was, there was a chapter I'd got to where I was particularly, was it this one? Nurturing professional relationships. Oh yeah, that was that. That was the circle with the onion in. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, never eat alone. That's it. Totally. Um, Grant Cardone, I think in his in his ten X book, he talks about don't you ever go for lunch on your own, uh, and he and he and he doesn't like the people sitting in work eating uh, yeah. at, at their desk because it's like you should be taking like you should be out for lunch with someone go and have lunch with with some people um and so when i noticed that i was like oh, okay yeah that, I, I remember that from 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 one of grant's books um do people do you think bosses encourage that enough or they're or they're so focused on um work 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 that they're that they, they're almost happy to see their staff sitting eating their lunch at the desk they are obsessed with short-term targets on the whole uh, you know, the last chapter of the book is all about creating a relationship culture in your organization right, where yeah. you actually trust your staff and you, you give them that leeway. Now, you know, you mentioned the story of the um, receptionists in the benefits agency earlier. One of the things that happened there is my colleagues sat, we, we worked on flexi time. So yeah. my colleagues had the shortest possible lunch so they could go home at half past three. So they would eat their sandwiches at their desk and then carry on. I would be going out for lunch every day with people from all around the office. That was just my nature. I hate this job. I've got to get something positive out of the day, particularly I'm in Croydon. <laughs> and I lived in Hendon. I was commuting oh, okay. an hour and a half each way every day. Um, so somewhere I didn't like, um, to a job I hated that was making me ill, at least I could enjoy that lunch hour um, up to two hours because I was on flexi time. You know, I still yeah. made up the hours. Uh, and I was doing it with, with people from all over the office. Now, my colleagues probably thought I was skiving. I probably thought I was skiving as well. It's with benefit yeah. of hindsight, I was building the relationships that made my job easier. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Never Eat Alone is the title of a very good book by Keith Ferrazzi. That's what I reference in, in the book. Um, and and one of the tips that I share a lot is that when you travel, you know who else do you know in that area? And by travel, that could just as easily be I work in the West End of London, but I got a meeting in Docklands as I'm in Singapore. <laughs> you know, it can be either extreme. But who else do you know in that area that you're going to that you could catch up with? Um, if I'm in in meetings in London and I'm not, I don't work from London unless I have meetings there. Um, I should be looking for someone to have lunch with to use the time effectively. But you have to get the balance between building those relationships, nurturing, maintaining those relationships, and your mental health. And, and your waistline. I'm, and your waistline. <laughs> If I'm in meetings all day, I want some downtime. I want some me time, particularly if you have introvert tendencies, which means that you draw your energy from, from, from solitude. So, I, and I've noticed over the years I've been doing this, I've been in this game 21 years, it's enough to make anyone an introvert. Um, that side of me has come out a lot more. So actually I've enjoyed a lot of lockdown more than I thought I would. Um, and that means that I have to feed both sides. So, Allowing myself to be on my own is absolutely fine. It's about finding the right balance. Yeah. And that comes back to actually having that sensible number of connections. Yeah. Um, seeing where, and again, all, in fact, all the points we've made here, which obviously why the book flows so nicely is, is mapping out what you need to get out of this, looking for the gaps in your network, 
what are my goals? Who do I need to connect with? And then of course you're saying, right, well, okay, now how much time have I got to, got to do this? So which are the ones I'm actually going to actively um, um, go out to get seats to seek to spend time with. And and just to I'm close the I'm loop on that, on, on that uh, benefits agency story, what, tell everyone what the, uh, what, what you found out some years after you left. Oh, well, I found out that, so, so basically I was making decisions on social funds, uh, loan and grant applications. Those applications were given to the receptionists. Um, they would give them to the client. Now, because of budgets, most of them didn't get what they wanted. Yeah. They would scream and shout or, or cry or whatever and complain to the receptionist, and the receptionist would decide whether they could be entitled to a review or not. And um, the receptionist, with, I found out years later, were, were standing up for my decisions. And as long as they were reasonable, yeah. they were standing up for them and saying, no, this has been perfectly made. There's no grounds for review. You need to be on your way. Um, whereas for some of my colleagues who were a little bit more offhand, to say the least with the receptionist, didn't focus on the relationships with them, they went, yeah, you can have a review. So they Which meant were, they had to have a jitty awkward interview with yeah. a with an angry person who had their application declined yeah, and, and, so, and so that, that time that you invested yeah. in their lunch yeah <laughs> inadvertently you were improving your your experience of yeah. work um by having a nice lunch with these people <laughs> which goes back to my point much earlier about the impact our professional relationships have on our ability to achieve our objectives yeah. now, i didn't know that at the time but by investing in the relationships, by going for lunch with them, by stopping down and having a chat with them when I was on reception rather than just dropping off forms, um, that helped me. It saved me time in the long run. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's being aware of that and investing in that. Yeah. Love that. So powerful. And I mean, I talked to him a, a moment ago about our kids and stuff. Um, I think for teenagers, this can start at any age really you know the uh obviously university oh again you mentioned in the book about people go on mba courses they go on the courses on, on the further studies just as much to build the alumni network as they do to get the knowledge but uh you know increasingly with social media our kids are going to be building these networks from as from as soon as they've got an account basically yeah one of the other points i make and i think i know i make it in just ask my next book i think i make it in connected leadership I'm uh, pretty sure I do, is that this, we're now introducing into the workforce the most connected generation there has ever been. Yeah. That these people are your employees or they're potentially your competition for jobs. And they are connected up to their eyeballs. Yeah. The, the, the story I use is that when I was 25, I backpacked. Yeah, it's in, it's in the book, the, yeah. the, the guys in Australia yeah, and yeah, South Africa it. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I travelled for 15 months. And, and what happens if, if, if you've backpacked, you know the story, um, you, you land somewhere. So let's say you get to Sydney, you go to a backpacker's hostel and you connect with all the people in there and they become your best mates for the next six weeks and you do everything together. And then you go north and they go south. And back then... There was no Facebook. There was no email. There were no mobile phones. <laughs> we wrote physical letters. Scrap of paper with a phone number and address on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what you had. I, I think I had a file of facts. <laughs> yeah, good. And I've still got it somewhere with all these things. I, I got back 15 months later. These people who were like my best friend in the world, I, I'm trying to remember them. And then, of course, the trouble is, I get back 15 months later. In some cases, they, they've been really been back for 14 months because they, when we met, they were at their end of their trip. Yeah, of course. Short trip. They're back in their ordinary life. That's, that's a different life for them. Yeah. Or I'm back and they're still traveling. So one person from those days, we, we absolutely stayed in touch. He's my best mate. Um, but other than that, I think I met up with one, one girl who was, I was really close to, um, and it just wasn't the same back back in the UK. I think that's it. You know, from all these people I met over 15 months, we didn't stay in touch because we didn't have the ability to do so. Now, if someone goes backpacking, my, my uh, niece last year, I think, did uh, Nicaragua, Japan, Australia, and so on. Of course, she'll be in touch with all of those people for the rest of her life, potentially. Yeah. You know, and they'll stay insight in mind, even if they're not talking regularly. You know, I, I've reconnected with some some um, 
some people from, from back in the day, you know, people from school and sixth form, there are a handful of from each in, in my social networks. And interestingly, one of them bought the book um, last week on publication and emailed me. And we're Facebook friends, but we haven't seen each other for 32 years. And he said, um, I enjoy following, you know, what you're doing and so forth. So, but that's an outlier for me. Yeah. But my niece's generation, that's, that's their whole life ahead. So if, if you think as an employer and you're recruiting between two people and one of them has the old farts network, and one yeah. of them has the millennials network, and, and if you understand as an employer how to leverage the networks of your staff by giving them free reign to build and maintain relationships, by giving them reasons to talk positively about working for you, think about the, the, the source of future employees, clients, ideas, suppliers, whatever that you could have at your fingertips through those expanded networks. Yeah. Well, in my former guys of, of digital marketing consultant and agency owner and d- digital marketing director, uh, I would coach in clients that exact message. Like you've got to cut these guys loose so they can connect with loads of people. Um, you've got to give them enough space to say what they, what they really want, because if you don't, that's probably going to backfire on you with prospective hires who are going to look at you and go, why would I want to go and work for someone who puts that much control on over, over their staff? And then, um, Oh, the third point. Oh, and the third point was just as far as the individuals went, I was like, <laughs> you don't know that you, this job's forever. And if you get down to the next, the last two at your next, uh, um, interview and one of them's got 2000 LinkedIn connections and you've got 200, well, you're either going to be very confident in your 200 or they're going to fight. That's, that's a very obvious reason for them. If, if, if you're down to the last two, you're probably pretty much the same person. So they just need a single reason. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, and and it, it's not an excuse just to go out and chase connections, mm. but if you have a professional relationship strategy, you can then sit in the meeting and talk about the value you can bring through the power of your relationship. Yeah. That is, that is powerful. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. Yeah. What can you bring to this business? Well, of course you've seen my credentials, but I'd like to talk about my network and the people I know. Yeah. That's very powerful. Awesome. Well, it's been lovely chatting to you, Andy. What's, um, what's, what's next for you? Obviously you're, you're the next book. You're just, you're just working on finishing it up, but, but what is, what, what do you think post Corona? Have you given much thought to how, how the world looks from a, from a relationships and networking and connections point of view? Yeah, you haven't got to the afterword of the book yet, have you? Because oh, that's what it's all about. Okay, cool. So give me, give me the heads up before I get to it. I'm on chapter well, eight. I, did, I, I wrote the book in the first two weeks of, of lockdown. And so what I did for the afterword is I wrote 10 things that I'd observed in those first two weeks right. and how I thought that would impact us going forward. And some of the, the things I looked at were, for example, we're going to be more used to meeting people virtually, you know, everyone talks about Zoom and Teams and so forth. So that will naturally come into play a lot more, but it still doesn't fill the gap. You can't read body language, read nuances, really engage in the same way. So for example, right now, in order to be looking you in the eye, I'm looking at the camera lens, not at you. Oh yeah, of course. So, So you can't make genuine eye contact. I have a choice of looking you know, obviously, if you're listening to this on a podcast, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But we are doing this. No, but that's just right. I, I'm, I'm looking at you and I am looking you in the eye. But of yeah. course, you're looking at me and I'm not looking you in the eye. I'm looking down, yeah. slightly down from the camera. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I'm trying to balance that in the conversation now. But that makes it harder to genuinely engage and listen yeah. in the same way. So things like that mean that we... we there are people saying everything will be done remotely. I don't believe it will. I think we don't get the same value on a Zoom call um, as we do face-to-face. And by the way, I've noticed a lot of my clients in, in corporates still don't want to do video conferencing. Um, and secondly, we miss that human-to-human connection. So I think what we'll see is a slight shift rather than a sea change in the way that we engage with each other. Yeah. So I think that will be key. Another point that I talked about was the, the importance of empathy. And what's really stood out for me during lockdown 
is is how is the impact your your manner and your words can have on people through no fault of your own now that's always been there but it's heightened by the sensitivities of covid-19 so let's say for example and this has happened to me i'll give you an example that's happened to me um someone um had told me that that she was going to review my book for me the, the the next one to give me some feedback and i really needed it back and she promised and i hadn't heard back and she sent me a message saying andy i'm really sorry how are you andy look i'm really sorry this has happened this has happened blah 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 and and i said no that's fine and and i thought i was being okay but i just said look that's fine it it's too late but don't worry about it and yeah. my tone in my head was understanding what she got was a text that went that's fine it's too late don't worry about it oh text message oh, and, yeah. and she'd been furloughed and and, and i told she'd said how are you now i often disregard a how are you as a throwaway comment her reply was you didn't even ask how i was you didn't know about ask about me being furloughed and now this has happened four or five times to me yeah. during, during the lockdown and it's not happened before so i think empathy has to be dialed up and we have to i think we're having to learn to be more emp- empathetic uh, or empathic i think the word is yeah. um i certainly am um so i think that that's another key uh, advance for me yeah empathic like considering other people's how they feelings think. like where they where, where they're at when they when they ask that yeah well that's oh, well that's another way in which all this the thing that has happened could push us back to a more more natural way where we do give a bit more thought to people where we do perhaps pick up the phone and i mean i, I always try to, to to ring people rather than text people and i tell my kids that as well oh i'll text them i was like don't bloody text them ring them ring them up if they don't answer then send them a text don't do it the other way around there you go that's a lesson for everybody to, to take on board it's just little things, you know, I've tried to do because it's been so busy the last few weeks. It's been hard to find time to talk to people unscheduled. So that like today, um, I went for a half hour walk and I made a phone call I need to make so I could combine the fresh air and the exercise with a call that, you know, rather than send an email or a message. Yeah. And it is little things like that. So I think that empathy would be key. And, and the, the next book, the one that's um, with the publisher at the moment is all about being vulnerable and the importance of being vulnerable. And I think that aligned to the empathy is the vulnerability. The two go hand in hand. And if we can create out of this, I think we're already on this journey. You know, the rise of Brené Brown as an example will show you that people are more receptive. The, the work that Prince William and, and Harry have done around mental health in men, for example, the number of footballers that have come out and talked about their suicidal thoughts. And, you know, one of those stories is in the book. Um, I think it's taken us on that journey. COVID-19 has accelerated it. And that combination of empathy and vulnerability could be hugely powerful going forward. Yeah. People being more real with each other. Definitely. Yeah. Fabulous way to end. I think air Andy, absolutely beautiful. So, um, usual thing, where can people connect with you? Obviously then you want them to go and get the book. I, I could having, having speed read it today up to chapter eight, I can, I can fully endorse it. Um, I think that, that an employers could give this to their, you know, any member of staff, but certainly any member of staff that they want to go out and network and want to instill upon them the importance of, of building strong relations. I think it's, it's both practical and essential information for anybody, whether as a reminder or as a, as a, as a, as a teaching tool, basically. Thank so you. congratulations on that. But where, where should people go to get that and how can people connect with you? Okay. So the, the easiest way to, to find the book, um, either go onto Amazon and just search my name and you've got my author page with all my books or go to andylapata.com and it's L-O-P-A-T-A uh, forward slash connected leadership. And on that page, there's all the Amazon domains at which the book can be found. So if you're not in the UK, you can hopefully find your local Amazon domain there. For those people who are listening to us live, get it tonight because you'll save some money because it's the last day, uh, of, last day of the launch week. Good. Last 99p. That is an absolute <laughs> steal. Go out there and get it. Yeah. And it goes up in the morning. So, so grab that now. Um, and yeah, for, with a surname like mine, I'm pretty easy to find uh, linkedin.com slash IN slash networking strategy. Um, feel free to follow me. I talked about 
not exchanging clicks. So follow me and engage with me through the posts first would, would be preferable. Um, I've got a Facebook page again, slash networking strategy. Uh, and I use my name on, on Twitter and Instagram. Andy Lapata is the username on both. And then the website, andylapata.com or lopata.co.uk. Neatly positioned behind your uh, left ear. <laughs> Andy, it's great. We're going to have a whole seven months together on the Mastermind, but uh, it's been a magical way to get to know you even more. So um, I'm looking forward to that. But also thank you so much for your time tonight. A pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Johnny. It's, yeah, really enjoyed it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Andy, as I mentioned, is on a Mastermind with me. If you've been in a Mastermind, you'll know about the power of working with other people in a close close circle you know uh, sharing knowledge and information uh, supporting each other having fun together basically just not doing it all on your own whatever level you're at you know elite people have coaches they have masterminds if you've read napoleon's hill think and grow rich you'll be very familiar with where this concept of masterminding comes from but even way back you can go back to the stoics in greek times and all that sort of thing the Clever people hang out together, you know, and, and they share knowledge and and evolve. And that's what it's really about. So if that sounds interesting to you, don't struggle alone. Come on over to teamsuperdad.com and become part of the Team Superdad community. Maybe one of the Hero Academy um, groups, one of the accountability and success groups works like a mastermind, but really expanding our knowledge and implementing success tactics into our life. So many of us listen to books, listen to podcasts, uh, and then actually the the difference comes when we implement it. So that's kind of my story. If you've not heard my story, then go back into some of the old the old episodes and perhaps listen to the trailer, the Team Superdad podcast trailer, and just get familiar with, with where I've come in my journey and how that ended up with the Team Superdad community and all the work that we do with dads creating their best life ever around the world. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to join you here again. Don't forget to share and review this and I'll see you on the next podcast. This is Johnny, Team Superdad out. Bye. This has been Team Superdad. Find us at teamsuperdad.com.